Welcome to Inspiration Rising. I'm your host, David Trotter, and we're here to inspire you to rise up in your life, love, and leadership. Well, once again, I have the opportunity to speak with someone about a subject that I know nothing about. I love that about this podcast. I am always learning and growing through each one of these interviews. And even though I have a few friends who have adopted children, I've never heard the perspective of a birth mother until now. Recently, I had the opportunity to read Finding Hope, A Birth Mother's Journey into the Light by Hope O. Baker. And it's an eye-opening account of how she became pregnant at 21 years old during college and chose to place her son for adoption. So in this episode, you'll learn how Hope found out she was pregnant while her mom was fighting cancer, why she chose to place her newborn son for adoption, Hope's experience of living with the woman who ultimately adopted her baby, and how Hope dealt with depression and addiction in the process. Let's jump into my conversation with Hope Baker. Well, Hope, thanks so much for taking some time to hang with me today. I really appreciate it. I'm excited to be here, David. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So people have already heard about your book, Finding Hope, A Birth Mother's Journey into the Light. And before we get into your story, I want to know what motivated you to write the book and share your story in a public way in the first place. That is like probably the question I get the most um, because as you've read the book and others who have, it is very, very open (laughs) and all the details of life. Um, I think the main reason I wrote it is because I spent so much time feeling like I was alone, feeling like, you know, nobody else understood what I was going through and nobody could help me through things. Um, you know, I always used to feel like I didn't have the right to be sad or to feel or to speak about my, my problems and my depression because I made the conscious choice to place my son, right? I made that conscious decision. So it was just always such a struggle for me. So I think once I started to realize that I am not alone, even if it's not birth mothers, everybody in this world has pain. You do, I do. Everybody has pain and is struggling with it, struggling to get through it, struggling to talk about it. And we're all, you know, having all these problems in our lives because we're not speaking about it. So there was just this driving thing inside me that said, the story has to be told and it has to be told fully and completely. And even the stuff I may not want to put out there, I have to, because it's all a part of the journey and it's important. It's powerful. Yeah, super powerful. It's powerful. It's also powerful for you as a writer to write something that's so, I would assume, cathartic in some way, um, to tell that story in a in just a raw here here's here's who I am. Here's here's what I've gone through. Absolutely. I mean, and it, it's interesting while writing it, you think you remember everything and you think that certain things happen a certain way. And then you go back and as I was writing, you know, chapter after chapter and sitting in different scenarios all over again and realizing all of these other pieces existed during this time, you know, certain things that maybe my mom did for comfort. For example, like when I was giving birth, like I completely forgot about all the beautiful things she did in the labor and delivery room because of other things that happened. And, you know, my dad reaching out afterwards, there's all these little pieces that my, I completely forgot about mm-hmm. when I was going through this depression. And then while writing, it was really, you know, it was really healing to just be able to go back and remember all those pieces and 
you know, tell, tell the story. Mm-hmm. I still pinch myself sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, your, uh, this was not your first pregnancy. Is that, is that my understanding? Yes. Yeah, so I did have an abortion, um, take when I was back. in high school. Yeah. Take me back to that moment because, um, that experience was so profound reading about that. Um, would you mind what, what you were 16? Is that correct? I was right between 16 and 17. Uh-huh. I might've been right around 17. Um, yeah, I just, you know, I was starting to have all these morning sickness type symptoms and I had my mom pick me up early from school and that was one of the first things she said to me. And for some reason, it just, it, right when she said it, I, I had the same feeling that this could be it. And, you know, for my, my personal life and my family life, we decided that that was the best option. Um, and much like my pregnancy when I was 21, I'm clearly fertile. Um, although I was told at one point I wasn't, but we, you know, we made the best choice we thought that we could for myself and also, you know, for our family at the time. Mm-hmm. And so um, then at 21, you uh, start to experience um, some challenges, some health challenges. Take me through that, that process. So I, I found out when I was pregnant, when I was, when I was further along, And it's interesting because once again, much like when my mom, right when she said, are you pregnant in the car, going back to when I was in high school, I had all of these feelings and all of these different issues with my body. And I knew that something was different. I had been told when I was a freshman in high school, there was a lot of tests ran that I might not be able to conceive children. It was going to be hard. Mm. Um, And I was on birth control. So when I actually, the, the morning after... I got pregnant. Obviously, I didn't know that night, but I was told that my mother had breast cancer. The morning? And wow. Okay. So, yes. I mean, it was hours after that, you know, mm-hmm. after the act, probably within 12 hours, I drove home and- You didn't know you were pregnant, but you just knew, okay, that was the night. Okay. I get it. Yes, exactly. So I had no idea. Mm-hmm. But I, you know, right when I got home, my mom and dad sat me down and told me that she had been diagnosed with breast cancer. And I, I mean, I don't, it was just such a, it was one of the hardest things I think I've ever had to hear. My mom and I have always had such an interesting relationship. And I remember thinking, I can't, like, we're not where I wish we were. Like, this can't be happening. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so I went into caretaker mode with my mom. and tried to do everything I possibly could to be there for her and support her with her surgeries and my little brother. Um, and so interesting enough though, you know, I obviously didn't know I was pregnant, but I was having all of these problems. So I mm. felt something is not right in my body. And a, probably a month after I got pregnant, I went into the doctor, said something wasn't right. And they, they ran, they ran, what was it? I think I've got a, an x-ray or some sort and they said, this could probably just be phantom pain. Probably two and a half months later, I went back and I said, something is wrong with my body. You know, I, I don't feel right. And they referred me to a psychologist because oh they goodness. said, you know, this is, this is very common. This, you're going through a traumatic experience. 
Um, I have breast cancer all over my family. So it was just, you know, and I should have advocated for myself and taken a damn pregnancy test. Mm -hmm. Um, but I didn't. And so here we are. So I ended up getting very sick during finals week in college and came back home. And I mean, I was extremely ill. You know, they wanted to, I was meant to be checked into the hospital. Um, they were running tests on me. They knew it was probably my kidney. And by, by chance, the x-ray technician was walking out. The first x-ray technician didn't see anything because they did give me an x-ray. Because hmm. you were having the, some sort of abdominal pain or, of some sort or? Extreme. Yes. Okay. So they, yes, extreme. Like I was, my skin was gray. My, you know, this is TMI, but it's in the book. You know, my urine was, it was thick. Like it was not liquid. It was thick. Mm-hmm. It was very bad. Mm-hmm. Um, so the x-ray technician, the head technician was walking out at the end of the day. And he said, that's a skeleton. Mm-hmm. There's a skeleton in her abdomen. Mm. And that was how, and then they then tested my urine. I mean, once again, they did not run a pregnancy test on me. Mm-hmm. They were concerned about um, your kidneys. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, now who, now who says there, that was a skeleton? Who says that? What the heck, Hope? I, David, I still like I cringe. There's there's like random days where I would cringe about that. I mean, I will never forget the nurse telling me they found a skeleton in your abdomen. I mean, like you had swallowed something, and they, you know, or saw something. Like, just so weird. It, the, that was. I mean, it was a traumatic experience. Finding of course out the way I did. And, you know, and there just, was an I mean, x-ray and an x-ray. You just had a, a, a baby x-ray. Like that's not, I don't think that's, that's not healthy. Right. That's not good. Absolutely not. Okay. And it was, you know, it was like how many times did I, did I have to go to the doctor? But once again, I think I've learned a big lesson through all this is I, Oh, I should have advocated for myself. I should have said, Hey, something's not right. Maybe the doctors won't listen to me, but what can I do on my own? Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, right after my mom was diagnosed, I mean, I was not sexually active. I was not, I, I was a very dedicated daughter. So I think that thought just never crossed my mind. Right. Mm, that you would um, be pregnant. And especially, exactly. So that, you know, that itself was, Traumatic. So to now say you the least. and you find out you're 20 weeks pregnant. Is that correct? Yes. So yes. You're, you're 20 weeks pregnant. Your kidneys have some issues. Uh, what What did they end up doing for your kidneys? So they had me on constant IV drips. Um, they wanted to check me in. I was meant to check be checked into the hospital because my levels were so low. Um, some were high. Some were low. And soon after I found out that I was pregnant, when the nurse told me, um, I started to experience, you know, different terrible situations at that hospital of them just saying at this clinic of them, you know, I just wanted to know my options. And I am completely a woman of pro-choice. I wasn't saying I want to do this or I want to do that, but I wanted to know what are my options here. And I think because I was asking that, sorry, go ahead. Well, I mean, this is just a profound section in, and it's early on in the book. Um, and you know, a lot of my listeners, a lot of our listeners are, there's a faith component to their life, or they may even really be dedicated, you know, Christians. Um, and I found this section of your book so, uh, painful 
to, 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 to read. And yet I think it's so important for you to share the story. So um, do you mind just walking through it in terms of like you, I don't even remember when it happened. It was after the x-ray or they were going to do an ultrasound or what the lady was talking to you. Take, take me through that section. Yes. So I, so when I, this was after the x-ray, um, right when they found out that I was pregnant, they shortly after set me down to ultrasound. Um, and this is where there was a woman, perf- she was doing the ultrasound um, and she was being very, and you know, I obviously support all faith and walk my own faith as well. Right. But she was being very much like, this is a gift from God. And, you know, telling me her personal stories about her son who had a child out of wedlock and they had to, you know, disown him, but he ended up making the right choice and marrying the woman and they let her, they let him back in the family and all of this, just this is a gift from God. And, you know, I had never once said, I want an abortion, give me an abortion. Mm -hmm. I just needed to know my options. And, and it was just in fear. It was a very fearful experience. And then shortly after that, I, when I was back upstairs, once again, my mom, well, this was when my mom got there and we're asking for my options. And they're saying, it was brought up to me that there was a woman in the hospital who worked in the clinic who was looking to adopt a child and would not care about any of the deformities or birth defects with the child for not having prenatal care for all of this time. This was something that came out of their mouth to my mother and I. Yeah, that just there was a, a woman waiting a lot of to assumptions. meet me. So many assumptions in both parts. Yeah. Absolutely. And yes. it just, I mean, it's just traumatic. I mean, I think right. about it and I cringe and my mm. mom and I even still talk about it and just, how could that happen? How right, could they right. allow that to happen? So challenging, so challenging. So, um, as you heard about your options, what were those options and how did you begin to process those? You're, were you a junior or a senior in college? I was just finishing up my junior year of college. Yeah. So you've got another year of college in front of you. And what were the options that you had presented to you? And how did you go about making the decisions? So, you know, I it, once we finally got the options out, it was very, in the state of Minnesota, um, you can only do abortions up to a certain time. And once again, I still did not know what I wanted to do. It wasn't, it wasn't like I was deciding on abortion or not. Um, but after our research, we discovered that there were certain states that um, allowed for late-term abortions. And, you know, my family and I made the decision that that was what we were going, you know, that was the route that we were going to take. And... Um, we had a little bit of troubles getting the information from the hospital. Once again, I just think they, they didn't want me to make that decision and they were trying to make it for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I understand where they were coming from. Right. I get, I get it, but right. It's not their decision to make. So I ended up going down to New Mexico, or not New Mexico, sorry, Kansas city, um, where they will perform them up to, I believe it was like 22 weeks, 22 or 23 weeks. And my sister drove me down there and it was, you know, an interesting part in the book because my sister was trying to get pregnant. Mm-hmm. And, you know, while we were driving down there, originally my mom was taking me and while my mom was driving, 
she was supposed to have a hysterectomy as part of, you know, her treatment for her cancer. And they called her that she had been like her spot at Mayo had opened up. Like, you know, you wait, you wait It's right. for these spots to open up and it had opened up. So she had to go get her hysterectomy and it was such an interesting like dynamic. Right. And this didn't even hit me until I was writing the book. My mom, and I, and I wrote this in the book, she was losing those reproductive rights, whether she wanted to have a child or not, she would never have that choice. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm exercising mine to get an abortion. And my sister is trying to conceive and having problems. It was mm-hmm. just this like wow. trifecta. Um, but my sister and I went down there and when it came down to it, I just, I could not do it. Um, once again, I'm so pro-choice and I would never judge another woman for a decision she made, but it was just something that I felt like for myself, I couldn't do it, and and why not? I knew and take me to take me through that moment. Like, what were you thinking? What were you feeling? Yeah, I think I, you know, when I saw my son on the ultrasound screen, and when I just like there was just something in my body that told me that he needs to be born, mm-hmm. um, whether he whether he is with me or somebody else. I just felt this strong you know, motherly instinct pull that if I couldn't do it, I knew somebody else could. Hmm. And I just, you know, I think it was that moment of seeing him that really just sealed the fate that that was not the choice that I could make. And, you know, even after I made that choice, there was still rumblings. Well, Hey, because New Mexico does them even later term. So there was still all of these options, but I, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty much a woman who, when I make a choice, <laughs> I stick to it, sure. right? I don't pretty, you know, strong minded and strong willed in that sense. Um, and so you so, drove all the way down there and then what was the car, <laughs> like, what was the car ride like on the way back? Um, it was, in, it was interesting because I think that there was a moment where I finally was like, Oh, I am pregnant. Wow. Like look at my stomach was weighing a little bit tight over shirt. And it was just like a really, like it was an, an odd moment, but it was a moment that I was kind of excited to have. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, the whole car ride, my sister and I would just, I was calling, you know, my dad and one of my friends who had recently had a baby and just trying to make sense of what was happening. And I think I was feeling in my head, okay, if I just say it, how many times do I need to say it for it to be real? Mm. Um, but I only told a select couple of people. I told, you know, my obviously my mom, my stepdad, my dad, my siblings, and a couple of my friends. So the car ride was, you know, making those calls. And at the same time, once again, I didn't know if I was, I didn't know if I was ready to be a mom and if I could give, you know, my child a life that he deserves. So we're still having that conversation, my sister and I, about adoption. Mm. And she's, you know, we're bringing up all of these different options. My sister's saying, we, you know, her and her husband could adopt the child or what would that look like at Thanksgiving? And mm-hmm. never, my sister's always been my person. And she was just, How, what can I do for you? How can I help you? Mm. We're in this together. You know, mm-hmm. that was just always the mentality. Before we continue the conversation, I want to ask you a quick favor. If you enjoy the Inspiration Rising podcast, would you be willing to share it with a friend? One of the primary ways that people learn about podcasts is by hearing about it from someone they trust. So if you're inspired, 
motivated and empowered by what you hear on the show, tell a friend to open up their Apple or podcast app, even Stitcher or Spotify. Search for Inspiration Rising and click subscribe. You'll be helping your friend and helping us spread inspiration to more and more people. So you get back home and walk me through the process of making this decision. You know, why Why did you not choose to keep your son and be his mom full time? What was that? You know, how did I don't, I don't even know how I would process something like that. You know what I mean? Like I wouldn't, there's just so many variables, so many thoughts, so many feelings, like help us get into your world for a minute. Like what were you thinking and processing in the midst of all that? Absolutely. I don't wish this type of processing on anybody, um, man, woman, I don't wish it on anybody. It's, you know, it was just, how can I, can I be a good mom? You know, I was living in this sense where I had very little money in my bank account. I was in college. You know, I just didn't know if I could give my son the life he deserved. And I went back and forth and there was a couple moments where I was like, okay, I'm keeping my son. Like I went to Target and I got this baby blanket for him. And, you know, it was just such a surreal moment where I just was, I'm like, I can do this. Like I can do this. I had a friend who had a baby, you know, and she was doing it. She was like such a good mom. Um, And I just felt like I could do this. And I had that sense in my mind. And then when I got home, there was a little bit of a, you know, an argument of sorts with my mom and, and I would never blame my mom. Cause I think that we've always had this relationship where we say things to each other, we get angry and then we yell, we may say things we didn't mean, you know, I, I even like right before this podcast, we started talking. I'm like, Oh, sorry. I should not have said that. Didn't mean it. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> you know? So I think we had one of those moments where she just, you know, had said, you, you can't do this. Mm. And I think once I heard that, I just, my mind shut off and I went to that mindset and I instantly went to the mindset that he deserves better than me. Mm. Right. I started to feel that. So what was your dad, what was your dad saying and thinking at this time? Um, so my dad was very much on, like he had offered to have me move in with him. Um, and all of these different things, which just didn't sound like an option for me based on the type of life that he lived and mm-hmm. the type of life that I lived and, and my stepdad as well. He's been a part of my life since I, can, I, since I can remember. He was very much supportive of, you know, do, do whatever is best, you know, for you. Mm-hmm. Like, I'll support you in your decision. He just he didn't want to see me hurt. Mm-hmm. I think no matter what choice I would have made, it, he would have supported me on. And it was interesting because he had known somebody in his past who placed a child for adoption by force um, where they didn't have a choice. And she searched and has searched for her child and she's never been able to find her child. Wow. So I know he didn't want that for me. Mm-hmm. Right. So there's a lot of dynamics going on, David. <laughs> yeah. So your mom, and why did your mom think that you couldn't do it? I don't think that she thought I couldn't do it. I think that we were in, we, she said something in the heat of a moment Mm -hmm. and I know it lodged in your brain though. Absolutely. I think Mm -hmm. maybe this could be just me, but I think a lot of us, there's there's certain things you hold on to, 
right? Something that you were, someone said about you or you hear, and you just hold on to them. And I think right. hearing that just, it, it, it just, I think it broke my heart. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like I know now, right? I know now that my mom knows that I would be a good mother. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes at, at the end of the day too, it's kind of like, was that my defense mechanism or was that me trying to say, okay, you made the decision for me, right? Mm-hmm, right. But maybe it was me who made it. And I just, you know, there's a lot of dynamics here. <laughs> right, right. So uh, as you're kind of, you vacillating back and forth, yes, I'll keep him. No, I'll go through adoption. What was the, what was your process like? Take us through the process of, um, because obviously the listeners haven't read the book, you know, take us through the process of, you know, your sister versus another option, like the lady at the hospital. I'm sure you didn't find her. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> Absolutely not. Uh, yeah. So, you know, my sister, we decided right away that that was not an option um, for my sister to take the child. And I think we all knew that, but she is a good sister. So she would do anything to help me. Um, you know, and she what, had and found why was a- that not a good adoption? I just think it would have been too hard. Like, who mm-hmm. am I? His, am I his mom? Am I the cool aunt? Like, right, right. Who am I and what am I? Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because once I decided um, on adoption, I my first thoughts were, I'm going to pick a family who's either on the East Coast or the West Coast. Mm. Like, I just thought that being too close would be too hard. Mm-hmm. You know, be like having being so close that I could see him, but but not being able to. Right. And I think in the end, that is absolutely true and 100% valid in my, you know, in the, the adoption path that I took. I went through a lot of struggle um, moving very close to him and realized that it, my, my intuition was right. Being far away was better. Mm. Um, but so, yeah, I just started, I talked to a couple of families. I searched online, looked at adoption books. I mean, hundreds and hundreds of adoption books and... Mm. I came across this woman and it's, it's so crazy. Um, you know, like when an ad pops up on Google on the side or even like on Facebook, something pops up on the side mm-hmm. and it's related to what you're searching, right? So her adoption book showed up that way. And it just, an adoption book is what, um, you know, families put together for birth mothers, birth families to look at, to pick, mm-hmm. you know, a family. And it talks about who they are and what kind of parents they're going to be and, I saw her, she's a single mother, single mother by choice. And I saw hers and I was like, this is who I would want to be when I grow up. Like, this is the type of woman I want to be. And, you know, we had a lot of these like weird, this is too crazy that it's true, like type situations. And when I sent her an email, like I swear, my son was just kicking me. And I wrote that in the email. I'm like, this, something feels right here. Mm. Um, so I sent her an email, sent her lawyer an email and, you know, I never talked to another family after I met her. Wow. So you, so you connected with her. Did she live near you or was she a distance or? She was in California. So she was far away at this time. I was living in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Um, it was summer break. I was, and remember I hid my pregnancy. So I was actually still working. I was bartending and waitressing at this like coveted deck bar. If you've ever heard of Alexandria, Minnesota, like Airwood deck bar is like the best place to work in the summer. You make the most money. It's, it's hard. It's hard to get a job there. 
So I was working there while hiding my pregnancy. Like I was with a couple of my good friends this week and we were talking about it, like how I was wearing like the big, like a over overly sized green, like the shirts. Mm-hmm. I would tie my apron up and I would wear this black zip up airwood hoodie and the summer heat outside <laughs> covering up the fact that I was pregnant. Mm. She's madness. Um, <laughs> but she was in, yes, she was in California. So we spoke on the phone a couple of times. We did Skype. And then I decided, you know, we both decided that I would go out there and meet her. So I went out there for a couple of days. And I mean, I just, I knew that she, if anybody else in the world was going to be his mom, it, it was going to be her. I just, we instantly clicked. And what was it about her? She just like, she, she has this present about this presence about her. She just, when you're around her, you feel calm. Like I just felt like when I was around her, I felt calm. I felt safe. And she, you know, that weekend I was there, she really tried to show me the life that my son was going to have. I mean, we went to the beach and I kept thinking like, this could be his life, like Mm. growing up by the ocean. And, you know, I love that she was a single mom by choice. Like she had decided later in life, she wanted to have a, a baby and she was just going to do it. And I knew, and I knew that she could do it. And she just, she just had her, had her head on straight. Yes. But she just felt so right. Hmm. Like she felt so like, she felt like home to me, even mm-hmm. though she was nothing like my family <laughs> or my, my home life. But I, you know, she felt like what I envisioned my, my future home looking like. Sure, sure. So I haven't been in a conversation like that, but you're now, were you staying with her? You were staying at a hotel or in that first initial trip? So I did stay with her, actually. Yes. So I stayed with her. So you're now staying with somebody that you (laughs) kind of know. I mean, I hate to use the word stranger, but you know. But you're right. You kind of know her. And you're talking about like those conversations. I mean, I would feel so awkward being in her situation going, so let me sell myself to you, you know, and at the same time, I'm wanting to be authentic. Um, But it sounds like you really felt like she wasn't selling herself. It just was this natural relationship. Is that right? It always felt like just this natural relationship. Like maybe she was trying to sell herself. I'm sure because she wanted a baby, right? Mm-hmm. But I always like from the very beginning, I felt like she was just a genuine person. And I felt that, you know, we clicked in a way that I don't think I could have found somewhere else. And I think she felt the same way that we just felt like we were meant to be a part of each other's lives. Mm-hmm. And really, you know, so I actually made the choice when I did, when I did choose her to be my son's mom, I ended up going out and living with her. <laughs> And why, why is that? <laughs> so I was hiding my pregnancy at the time because I, and I, and honestly, I think I was scared of judgment and mm. that even was years after my son was born. I didn't come like come out to the world that I had had a child and probably until he was two or three years old. I just, mm. I felt fearful for the judgment that could be placed on me and mm. the ridicule, ridicule and anything that would come. So I said, okay, you know, where am I going to go live? And it was, do I live with my grandma? She didn't even know I was pregnant. You know, one of the attorneys suggested I go live in a maternity type home thing. 
Um, and, and I still to this day cannot, I don't remember who brought up originally, well, you should just go live with Kent, with my son's mom. Maybe she did. Maybe I did. I, I really can't remember. But once the idea came out there, we decided that this is what we wanted to do. I mean, the lawyer said we were crazy. Like I had, by the state of California law, she had to provide me with an attorney to protect, you know, my rights as a birth mother and whatnot. So my attorney and her attorney both said, uh, no, you should not do this. Like probably most, you know, on my side, she was thinking my attorney was saying in, in her mind, it was, if the more you get to know her, the less you're going to be able to make your own decision based on your own needs, because mm-hmm. you're going to want to, you know, you're going to get to know this woman. You're not going to want to hurt her. And then her mm-hmm. attorneys are saying, what if she sees things, things that she doesn't like about you? Right. Like what if she doesn't like the way you wash your clothes, you know, the way you, you cook or do this. <laughs> like mm-hmm. it's just, but we both were strong minded women and said, we're going to do this. Wow. So you moved in and how many uh, weeks or months did you have left in your pregnancy when you moved in? I had two months, two months. left. I was out there for a full two months. Okay. And uh, talk talk to me about the birthing um, process, the moment, you know, I've seen two kids getting birth. I don't need it. (laughs) (laughs) I don't need that picture again. Okay. Uh, Absolutely. I've seen seen them both ways. All right. Um, So, but uh, who was with you? What was that process like? Take me through the delivery and the moments and the days after. Yes. Um, so I, my mom had flown out the day before I actually went to labor. I went a couple days early. My son's mom was flying out. The, the actual day I went into labor, her flight was. Um, so we had myself. Now when you say my, your, your son's mom, she was flying out. I, so you're. She was flying in. To Los Angeles for the birth. Gotcha. So she we... Was, yeah, but you, you, weren't you living with her? So my my son's mom, her mother. Oh, gotcha. So it would be My apologies. Grandma. My apologies. <laughs> yeah. I was like... Well, there's there a lot of moms in the room. A lot of moms here. Okay. Four moms, yes. actually. Yeah. Okay. L- literally four moms. So okay. we had agreed to... You know, my mom was going to be there. I was entitled by law to a support person... Um, and so I had my mom there and then my son's mom chose to have her mother there. Of course she wandered in the room and you know, that's lovely. So we had all four moms. I mean, my mom was holding one of my legs, my son's mom, the other one, her mom was taking pictures and videos like this. (laughs) It was a party. I mean, it was a party. Yes. Um, and I think, you know, I, I don't know. I think that there was a lot of things I thought would happen that didn't happen. And I thought that I was going to feel certain ways and not certain ways. And I did. And I just, you know, I think the moment he came out, my whole world just stopped. Hmm. And I just remember pushing my head away. I didn't, I couldn't look at him because, you know, in our birth plan, um, for bonding purposes, he was going to go straight to her chest. Hmm. And I think, you know, that is a moment that's haunted me the last six years, not every day now, because I'm really working on healing and whatnot. But for years, it was all I could think about. I mean, I woke up thinking about it, thought about it during the day, just how scared he must have felt and how as a mother, you know, I, he, he 
I was all you ever knew and you went to somebody else and that I've relived that moment in my head so many times, like Mm. just how scared he must've been going to a whole nother person. But on that same token, you know, living together, part of that was he will know her voice. He'll know her voice. He'll know her scent. He'll know the dogs, you know, barking. Like he'll, he'll, he'll know Mm -hmm. to some degree. Um, so, you know, right after he was born, I mean, I just, I couldn't look at him. And I, I have this sense of responsibility to calm the room at all times. Hmm. I had this sense that it was my job to make sure that everybody was getting along. Um, you know, my mom and my son's mom had a couple of like, just things, right? Like, this is a high stress situation. This isn't like meeting your, your son's girlfriend's mom or something you know Mm -hmm. this is a high stress environment so I just felt like this responsibility to calm everybody all Mm. day and because of that I let that hinder my ability to speak up and say I'd like to hold my son too Mm. um so I actually didn't end up holding him until the very next day I didn't he was born around nine o'clock at night and I didn't hold him until that next morning and I think, you know, that's been a really hard thing to work through for myself because I didn't use my voice when it's the most important time for myself and for my son. I should have used my voice and spoke up. Mm. Um, But once again, it was like you have this sense of responsibility because I was feeling like I don't want my mom to be angry at me. I don't want my son's mom to not want my son because of this, 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 you know, it was just... Mm -hmm all of this stuff that I was trying to manage. Very complicated. Very <laughs> well, complicated. Extremely. And then add in there that I, you know, when I first got to the hospital, I had to take a final or I had to take, I had to take an exam, not a final, an exam for school. <laughs> it's just like, it's just too much school, everything. It was just a lot in one room. And so you now have given birth she goes home. Your son goes home. Where do you go? So I, so we ended up checking out of the hospital in, in my eyes and my mom's eyes. And I think, you know, even some of the nurses extremely early. And I, I think that was so that he, you know, we didn't want him around like in a hospital, we can get sick and whatnot. Right. The less time you spend in a hospital, the better. That was maybe the under, that was maybe the thought. Um, so, you know, I was already checking out the next, the next early afternoon. Mm-hmm. So before noon that day, I mean, everybody was getting ready to check out the very next day. Wow. And I think, you know, there was a lot of, there was a lot of different things that happened. You know, I know that there was, there was arguments between, you know, my mom, myself, my son's mom everybody thought that I had this look on my face like this. And then partially this was the first time I was able to hold my son alone. And everybody was feeling like I was maybe bonding with him too much. Or, I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But there was a, there's this high strung moment where the hospital social worker had to come in the room. This was somebody from the hospital to make sure that everybody was being nice. And the nurses weren't pressuring me one way or the other and had nothing to do with, you know, anybody else but just how is the hospital staff treating you Mm -hmm. right and i think that everybody in that room just 
all of a sudden hit this high emotions and started panicking. And I think maybe they, somebody thought that they saw a look in my face that I needed things to slow down. And, and at the end of the day, you know, my mom had said that, and I think she was right. I did need them to slow down. Like I Mm -hmm. needed a minute Mm -hmm. to hold my son and to be with him. And I need, I needed that. And I deserved that, Mm. you know? And I think back then I was so angry at my mom that she caused this big argument, but at the same time, like she was right. And it took me writing the book to realize that she was right. Mm-hmm. I did need a moment. I did need things to slow down. Like I needed the, I needed that time. And I, I sh- and I deserve that time to be with my son and to hold him and to, you know, hold him and love him and to smell him and, you know, to kiss him and to do all those things. And mm-hmm. I didn't get that. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's, a, you know, part of the same thing as holding him after he was born. It was just a really traumatizing experience. So, you know, there was a big argument and my son's mom, my son went home, my mom went back to the hotel. And at this point we had argued. Mm. Um, so we were put in separate rooms and I spent the first, you know, that evening and that next day by myself in a hotel room. Mm. Um, you know, trying to figure out how you take care of yourself after you give birth. And it was just, sorry, I'm just <laughs> getting a little emotional. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, I, it's hard to even explain the, the feelings you feel. I just, mm. I mean, I was by myself in Los Angeles in a hotel room, mm-hmm. not knowing if this was too much blood or not enough blood or, am I supposed to do this? Or am I supposed to do that? Or should I be walking? Or am I supposed to eat a certain thing or not eat a certain thing? Cause I checked out of the hospital mm-hmm. a little over 12 hours after I gave birth. Right. Um, and I was by myself because of my, you know, the, the fight between my mom and I, and it was just, it was just a roller coaster. And, you know, shortly after that, I was on a plane mm-hmm. back to Minnesota um, traumatizing. And in the days and months after that, how did you process all that had gone on? Oof, <laughs> not the right way. Um, I, you know, I think that there was probably a month after I had left Los Angeles and I couldn't get out of bed and I couldn't function. I couldn't like, I couldn't, I felt like I couldn't breathe without crying. And there was a moment where I called my son's mom and said, I, can I please just come there? Because remember I literally had probably less than five minutes with my son and a little less than five minutes alone, I would say. And I think that I just needed him. I needed to smell him. I needed to feel him. Like what, what faces is he making? Is he okay? Is he, you know, is he laughing yet? (laughs) How is he doing? Um, how are his checkups? Like I just, I needed to feel him and smell him and hold him. And, you know, I think that was like the beginning of these moments because we had an agreement that said I was able to visit him two to three times a year. Um, and I was to get pictures and she's been very great about that. You know, she sends picture books and I do get my visits, but I think that was like one of the first moments where I realized that, 
you know, this is a decision I made and I don't have the right to see him when I want to see him. Mm-hmm. So even though right now I need him, I can't have him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't see him until January. I think the first time I saw him after that was January for my birthday. Mm-hmm. Um, How many months was, after that was that? He was born in September. Mm-hmm. So for me, it felt like a lifetime, right? Um, and I think when I look at how I process things, I I turned to to drinking and to you know partying and you know to to men. That's that's what I what I turned to. I didn't know how to cope with things myself, so mm-hmm. you know it was easy for me to go out and drink and meet a stranger and talk to them about my son, like. Mm. It, but I didn't want to talk to anybody else about it. Right. I mm-hmm. talked to strangers about it and, and I just wanted to really feel numb. And I, that's, you know, how originally I started processing things. And I remember a moment, my senior year of college where I called both my mom and my son's mom. And I just was like, I feel like I'm going to like die. Like I'm making bad decisions. And, you know, there was a moment where I didn't know how I got home. I had no idea, no recollection of the night. How did I wake up? Like, who took me home? Where did I, mm-hmm. like, where did I go? I had no idea. And I got scared. And I remember calling them and saying, I need help. And, you know, I went to a couple counseling sessions at my school, but it never was really healed. So I just really lived in that, and that pain and sadness and really just that, that hidden way for, you know, four years. And mm-hmm. it escalated from just drinking and, to using drugs and it just, and and it was interesting because, you know, I have incredible friends, but they can go out for a weekend and just drink on a Friday night or Saturday night, you know, go to have a party on the weekend and be done. But I was living in this numb state and like, I want needed to be numb and I was depressed. And so I would just keep it going. Mm -hmm. Right. I couldn't just shut it off like they could. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't necessarily, you know, speak out because it was, it was like, I was, my life looked so together. Mm. And I think we think about that about a lot of people like you, you know, out in the public domain, you see people who commit suicide and, and overdose and all of these things. And you're like, it doesn't make sense. Like they were such a happy person. They had their life together. They're successful. They're all these things, but it's because people hide things, right? Mm -hmm we just suppress things deep down. And I think I lived in that state for four years mm. in a state of just, I'm just going to suppress it. And, you know, some people spend 20, 30, 40 years in that state. So I feel lucky, you know, to have been able to get out of it after four years, but it was, it was difficult. And it was, you know, something I, I like to reflect on cause I like to see where I'm at and where I've been, but mm-hmm. It's hard. <laughs> and, what, and, and what was the breakthrough moment or experiences that led you to kind of get out of that pattern of, of uh, soothing yourself in that way? There was a couple different moments. I think one of the, you know, it was a couple of things that just all blended together on the same time frame. But one of the big ones was I came home after, you know, being awake for two days on like a little drinking binge one weekend. And I ended up like on the floor in the fetal position in between my bathroom and my bedroom. And I was shaking and 
I thought I was going to die. And I, you know, that's sometimes we're dramatic about that, but genuinely, like, I was like, is, is anybody going to find me? Like, what's going to happen? Is this what I want my life to be? And I, you know, when I survived that and came out of that, I just decided that I have to make a change. Like I can't do this to myself. I deserve better. My son deserves better. Mm -hmm. There has to be a better way. This cannot be the only way to live, right? Mm -hmm. There has to be a better way to go through pain and to work through your pain. There has Mm -hmm. to be another way. You described that so powerfully in the book when you talked about shaking uncontrollably on the ground and wondering who would find you, who would, who would care. It's a dark, it's just rock bottom. It is. Mm -hmm. And, and for me it was, and, but at the same time, I, on the outside, my life looked great. Mm -hmm. I was living in California at this time. I had a good job. I was good at my job, good friends. You know, I had nice car, looked like all the things, but yet here I am shaking on a floor thinking, is anybody going to care if I, Mm. if I die today? Mm -hmm. So Um, how did, how did you get help? So it started, you know, I, (laughs) and I, it's, it's interesting because I've always loved Reese Witherspoon. Um, but for some reason, something, she gave a speech at glare. It was a glamor woman of the year show. And I think it was even a couple years before this happened, but I watched it one day. I just was thinking, I am a capable woman. I am a strong woman. I am like, I am not what I'm telling myself. Like I have the ability to change my life. And I, and, and it's, and it's weird because I, my mom and I used to watch legally blonde and like research has always been my idol. And it was like hearing her say something just flipped something in my brain. And I mm. think I started to, you know, I started to get out in my community more in my, I was in, you know, sales in Silicon Valley. So I started to get out in that community. I started to really speak to my friends and be open with God. I am not okay. Like I, I can't, you know, I feel depressed. I feel sad. I am feeling these ways. I need your help. And like, even just using that statement, like I need your help. Mm. I'm not okay. I am in pain. Um, it was really just, it was transformative even to say it out loud. And I had a really, I mean, I had all wonderful friends, but I had a really good friend who on the balcony one night, she just told me like, God, you're full of light. Like there's so much light around you. Mm. And it was hearing those things that just, it really clicked in my head. Like you are right. I am not just this, I'm not an addict and I'm not somebody who's not worthy of forgiveness and pain is actually just pain. We all have it. I am not alone. I may feel it, but I'm not, mm-hmm. Be, you know, and, and it all goes back to that feeling of I made the conscious decision to place my son for adoption. And I used to think that that meant I, was, I wasn't worthy or I didn't deserve to speak about my feelings because mm. I made the decision. And I think it's, you know, even with the drinking, like I'm making the conscious choice to drink, but I wasn't like, I think addiction is a sickness. And, you know, once I started to get counseling and I started to get out in my community and find a purpose, like, what is my purpose in life? I do truly believe that I carry a light with me and I have, and I tell myself that every day. Mm. And I, you know, on some days when I'm having a hard day, I have to tell myself over and over again, you know, you're strong, you're intelligent, you are light. 
you're a good person, you're a good mother, you are all of these things, and you will prevail. Your life is great. Your life is beautiful. Mm. Even on days, it doesn't feel like it. I just have to tell myself that. And I think even just that change of like believing in that higher power, like really supporting me and having that light in my life, it it changed my life. Like those Mm. I am statements are so, they're Mm life-changing. Something so simple of I I am intelligent. I am beautiful. I am wonderful. I mean, it, it literally changed, it changed my life. Something so simple, mm-hmm. but I so think at ta- for sure. And I think at times like, you know, society is always, you know, you, you're, you're full of yourself if you think you're beautiful and you say you're successful and all those things, but you know, you, we have to feel those things about ourselves. And that was really, you know, something that helped me through all of those mm-hmm. things combined. Um, Helps me see that light. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you this one one last question. What do you want someone to experience or get out of your book? Like what 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 do you want them to feel or experience or um, believe about themselves? What is it? For sure, I think. You know, the biggest point is that pain is pain. We all have pain, every single person. And it's okay to feel that pain and it's okay to speak about it. Um, You know, there is, we all do have light, no matter who you are. You are, everybody's a beautiful person. Everybody has light, even if we don't feel it. Or maybe we don't have somebody who's telling us that, right? Maybe we don't have somebody who's been that person in our life. Like I had a genie who told me, my friend's name is little genie, <laughs> who told me you are, you are light. You know, we, we are those things. And I think I want people to know that they're not alone and to always remember that your pain is validated and you can always come out on the other side. You don't have to be your destruction, hmm. right? We all have the power Maybe not within ourselves, but with a little bit of help, we can find it in ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe we do need that extra help or counseling, and that's okay to need that. But we have to be safe in speaking up and asking for it. Mm-hmm. On the front of the book, you um, have, I don't know if these are your actual feet, but uh, a representation of your feet with the world <laughs> tattooed upon the tops of your feet. Uh, tell me about the meaning of that tattoo? Why is it important to you? Yes. So those are my feet. (laughs) That's actually my feet. Um, That is my feet. So, you know, interesting enough, I had saw somebody once upon a time, many years ago with some type of world tattoo on them. um, And I just felt so strongly about it. And I just thought that is what I want to embody in my life. I want to always, you know, have the world at my feet, quite literally. I always want to feel that I have endless opportunities and can go wherever I want in the world. And like now in my life, I mean, you know, I'm traveling and I'm doing all these things and it just feels so, so perfect. (laughs) And you have a partner now and a couple of stepkids. Is that correct? I do. I do. So I, my partner, um, we've been together almost two years, you know, where he has children. That's been an interesting experience. You know, we're always talking about having children and 
you know, if it happened today, I'd be happy. If it happened in a year, I'd be happy. I'm not in any schedule or anything, but I feel so safe in my, my life and, and my past choices that, you know, I would be ready to be a mom again. And I feel lucky to have a partner who's been so supportive and really been there for the journey and helped me also find hope. Right. I don't, Mm -hmm. you you don't do it alone. Mm -hmm. You can't do it alone. You got to have people around you are helping you. So I feel lucky to have his support. Mm -hmm. Well, hope I appreciate uh, your vulnerability in writing this book and I know what it's like to have pain and experience pain um, different than yours, but it's, it is pain. Right. And um, I appreciate your vulnerability. And I think this book is powerful, uh, obviously for someone who is considering um, or who's having a child is pregnant and trying to figure out, you know, what their options are. I think this book is a powerful view into your decision-making process and your life. And I also think that this book is powerful for um, anyone who wants to right get a birth mother's perspective on the process. So I think it's really powerful for anyone. Um, and people can obviously get it on Amazon and they can learn more about you at hopeobaker.com and you're on Instagram, hopeobaker as well. Um, so I yes. just, just appreciate, <laughs> appreciate you sharing your story to Hope. I really do. Well, I really thank you for having me on. I'm excited to, you know, get the feedback from your listeners and keep listening to your podcast. (laughs) That's great. Thank you, Hope. Thanks so much. I want to encourage you to pick up Finding Hope, A Birth Mother's Journey Into the Light. All you have to do is swipe up on your phone to access our show notes and you'll find the Amazon link where you can easily purchase her book. Now, as you go about your life in the weeks and months to come and you hear about an adoption and celebrate the new addition to a family, May you also say a prayer for the birth mother and remember that she is experiencing so many emotions at the same time. May you be aware of her experience and send her love as well.